Thank you. Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Galatians. We're going to kick off uh, a new series today in the book of Galatians. We'll be here for a few weeks and um, excited about it. We're, we're going to dig in. If you're new to church, you're listening, and maybe you're new to the Bible, we're going to try to give the most basic kind of introduction so you kind of know where we're coming from, and then we're going to just dig into it. Um, there's a, uh, a satire site by the name of Babylon B, and it's just satire. It's just, it's just poking fun at. It's not a real news source. Some of you need to stop quoting it. Um, and they did, a, they did an article just kind of joking, telling the difference between a big church and a shopping mall. And uh, they said the coffee, if, you're, if the coffee shop says Starbucks, you're at the mall. If the sign says Hebrews, you're at church. The parking lot, if the close parking up front is for mothers and vets, you're at the mall. If the close parking up front is for visitors, you're at church. Clothing, if you see a bunch of teens trying really hard to dress fashionably, you're at the mall. If you see a 30-something trying really hard to dress fashionably, you're at a large church and it's the youth pastor. Uh, (laughs) Security writing segues. We don't have that. That would be a good one, but... They said, good luck with this one. We can think of no discernible difference between a church and a mall, except that church cops are likely carrying concealed weapons and are preparing to take you out if necessary. That is true in so many churches today. Public behavior. When you spot people reading Bibles out in public, chances are high that you're at the mall, not at church. Yikes. Child care. If there's an establishment has a convenient building where you can drop your kids off, completely forget about them for several hours. It's definitely a church, just the way Jesus intended it to be. Food, if you're really looking forward to a warm, gooey Cinnabon, but the lady behind the counter hands you a stale, half-cut donut, you're likely at church. Open or close, this is hands down the easiest way to tell. You're likely at a... uh, um, If the establishment is allowed to be opened by the government, it's a shopping mall. If it's closed down, it's because it's too dangerous and it's a church. Um, (laughs) You know, we, we joke a little bit about that, but the reality is sometimes the church is starting to look a lot like the world. And we want to make sure that we're making a distinction between who Christ has called us to be and what the world wants us to be. This morning, I left very early. It was, uh, it was like 6, uh, 6.30, 6, 6.30, and uh, we were listening to the news before I left, and it, it was giving the visibility with the smoke and the fog, and it said, Hillsborough said zero. And I said, how could that be? It can't be zero. And so I'm like, well, here I go. I'm <laughs> driving to Hillsborough. And I have to say, I don't think it was zero. I could see, you know, I mean, the stoplights and different things. But I will confess, I made a wrong turn. I just, I was kind of following the car in front of me and I turned and, I mean, I got here obviously, but I realized this wasn't the street I wanted to turn on. And the reason was, is because all the landmarks that you kind of just see, you know, and you're not really thinking about them, they were absent. And as a church, we need to come back to some of the landmarks of the gospel, which is what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. 
And so I know when I say, if you grew up in the church, if you've been a Baptist for a long time, when I say the gospel, you say, I know the gospel. But Paul is writing to a church who got the gospel from him and had somehow wandered off from that. So we want to be reminded today and in the coming weeks of what the gospel is, check our landmarks, make sure we're on the right track. So Galatians, just in starting, let me give you just kind of a flyover first. Going the wrong way, here we go. And what I mean by this is just, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a few churches, three or four, in the region of Galatia. It's not a church, it's a few churches. And Paul had established those on his first missionary journey. Um, In fact, it was the end of his first missionary journey, and then he tracked back through these churches, helping establish them, and he visited them on other missionary journeys. So these were churches that Paul started. And in chapter one, Paul is addressing the gospel, and he is reminding the church of what the gospel is. And specifically, in verse six, he says, I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of the Messiah and are turning to a different gospel. So they've wandered away in chapters one and two. So Paul is defining the gospel and his right to defend it. In chapters three and four, Paul makes the case that the church is a, uh, or the gospel creates a multi-ethnic family. And he's going to do that in several different ways. He's going to talk about these groups that are infiltrating the church, and he's going to talk about how from the beginning, the purpose was that the family of God would be multi-generational. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. And so he is making a case that the gospel creates a multi-ethnic family in chapters three and four. And then in chapters five and six, he reminds them that this multi-ethnic family is transformed by the spirit of God. And he's going to talk about how Christ sets us free. And in chapter 5, verse 16, he encourages the church, but I say, walk by the Spirit. So the gospel creates a multi-ethnic family that transforms, that is transformed by the Spirit. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, our passage for today. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. Here we go. Sorry, my mask is catching me in the eye. Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus the Messiah, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus the Messiah, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of the Messiah and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some 
who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For now, for I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of the Messiah. So Paul introduces this letter, and you kind of catch the tone, don't you? Those of you who are familiar with the Bible know that Paul often says these opening verses, one through three, four, five, are pretty common in Paul's letters. And then Paul usually jumps into, let me tell you about all the ways I've been praying for you, and I'm blessed by you and encouraged by you. But he doesn't have that encouraging stuff. It jumps right in in verse 6 to this tone of, what in the world is going on? How have you deserted the gospel? And so Paul, in this introduction, first of all, he, he gives his right to speak. And he says, Paul, an apostle. Now, this isn't uncommon in Paul's letter, but it, it is important to the tone of this letter specifically. Um, an apostle is one that is sent by Jesus. If we just look at the word apostle, it means to be sent out. And today, we, we might talk about somebody who has an apostolic ministry, that is, that they're sent out, or an apostolic gift, that they kind of have that gift of being sent out. But when we talk about the apostle, we talk about an apostle, That specifically is not just that he's sent out, but specifically that he has seen Jesus. Okay, And that's where we need to make a distinction. So Paul's an apostle. He's been sent by Jesus, and he has seen Jesus. He's going to testify of that at the end of chapter 1. Next, he says that the gospel was revealed to him. And what he's saying here is like, I didn't get this gospel from somebody else. I got this gospel from Jesus. And in verses 8 and 9, he says, But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. And in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, look, not from men, nor through man. Okay, this again, it's from Jesus. And in his testimony, in uh, verses, uh, verse 12, he says, For I did not receive it, speaking of the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation. So he's repeating over and over again. This gospel was given to me by Jesus. And then also, pause a relationship with this church. Um, and we, we talked about that, and he, he, he introduced them to the gospel. He said, you received it from me. This was, these were his, his church plant, his converts. He knows them. Now, from reading Galatia, what we 
this story about these churches in Galatia, what we, we find is that Paul came in and he preached the gospel. And then he came back through the churches and he established the church and he heads off on another missionary journey. And Paul is somewhere and these Jewish converts come back into Galatia and they see these Gentiles who are worshiping Jesus and they say, oh, good, that's great. Paul forgot to tell you a few things. Specifically, you need to follow some rules starting with circumcision. And they're like, oh, we we didn't know. And so they start taking on all this stuff and then Paul hears about it and he's going, what in the world? What's going on over there? So he writes this letter. Paul's blessing on the church. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus the Messiah, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father to him be the glory forever and ever. The blessing here, it's from the Father. It's through Jesus Christ. And I know that this is just a, it's just a verse here at the beginning of this letter. But what Paul is saying to the church that's, that's struggling right now, he is saying to them in the midst of a fire, he's saying to them in the midst of chaos, Grace and peace. Grace and peace. He's saying to the church, shh. Grace and peace from God through Jesus Christ. And he reminds them, who gave himself for our sins, to what? Deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, and it's for his glory. So we're going to dig into this just this morning in introduction, the gospel defined, the gospel revealed, and the gospel applied. So those of you that are around the church, when I say gospel, you say, I, I, know, I know the gospel. But let's just pause for a moment. Let's pretend you didn't, and let's really try to define what the gospel is. The word gospel simply means good news. All right? So when we hear the word gospel, we start putting a whole formula, those of you who grew up in the church, in our head. And then we say, I know what it means, but just simply it means good news. Specifically, the Greek word one person wrote signifies good, merry, glad, and joyful tidings. To make our heart glad, it causes us to sing, dance, and leap for joy. You say, well, not Baptist, right, Dave? Specifically, when we talk about good news, culturally, it had to do with a king. It was specifically an announcement about a king. or, Or in a more general term, it was good news or a kingdom announcement. So when we... When they heard good news, okay, now some of you who grew up in the church, you know, you had gospel tracts and you had 
this presentation and that presentation. And that's not what they were thinking. They were thinking good news as it relates to a king. So when I read Galatians this morning, some of you caught that when I came to the word Christ, I didn't say Christ. What did I say? Messiah. Now understand, that's what that word means. It means the Messiah. And and when we read Christ, somehow as Western Christians, somehow we've just made it Jesus' last name. It's not his last name. It's a declaration of the good news of the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the kingdom announcement that they've been waiting for. And so I think we should read it in that sense so that we're, our mind is moving towards it. Now, I have a bunch of definitions. I'm just going to read them real quick, and then we're going to give you a definition. Because I want you to understand, when we talk about the gospel, even like Christian right, it's just so hard. I was doing some work for the school, and they, they wanted me to, they said, can you just um, give us just a, a brief gospel, like definition of the gospel? I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I sit down. It's like, what are you? Wait a minute, what, what, can I, what, what part can't I leave out? What part is this? You know, all of a sudden, I'm like two pages in in what was supposed to be one paragraph. In some sense, the gospel is the most simplest thing in the world a child can understand it, and yet it's so complex, a professor can't explain it. It's just, it's a, it's a marvelous thing. This gospel, uh, Timothy Keller Uh, defined it this way. The gospel is good news that through Christ, the Messiah, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. When we believe and rely on Jesus' work and record rather than our own, our relationship to God, the kingdom power comes upon us and begins to work through us. Alistair Begg tried to make it a little more simple and he said, here's the gospel in a phrase. Because Christ died for us, those who trust in him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. And yet he has another phrase. He says, what, he goes on to say, what will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing, Christ died in my place. That's the gospel. Jeremy Burroughs said this, it's good tidings that God has revealed the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. In a book on the gospel, Ray Ortland says this, God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people from the wrath of God into peace with God with a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of his glory, of his grace. Wow, those are all pretty different, aren't they? Let me just give you in a nutshell, what I think some essential parts of the definition of the gospel should include. Now, having that, I'm using the word essentials, but I recognize that sometimes when we're sharing the gospel with someone, we leave some parts of this out. But if we're writing a full definition, here's some things that should be a part of it. The first is this. God's kingdom is here. Now, I want to read you a passage from Mark chapter 1 and then later from Mark chapter 8. 
In Mark chapter 1, uh, as Jesus is coming on the scene in uh, verses 14 through 17, oops, that's Matthew. Mark writes this. It says, now, after John was arrested, uh, chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel. Here's, here's what Jesus is proclaiming. This is the gospel. The gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the first thing, it's an essential part of the gospel. Jesus said it, the kingdom of God is here, which is why we're using that phrase Messiah. That's what the, the Jews were looking for. They were looking for the coming Messiah, the coming king. And so God's kingdom is here. That's what Jesus said. And it's here in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And because the kingdom is here, Jesus said to the listeners, because it's here, you need to repent of sin. Now, most often in the Western world, when we talk about the gospel, this is where we start. In fact, um, many of the channels, or maybe it's just a few channels, are uh, filled with a... a an ad right now, commercial spot, with Franklin Graham, who comes on sharing the gospel. Have any of you seen that? It's been on several times. And this is where Franklin Graham starts. He starts with sin. And that's the way I grew up. And that's the way most of you grew up. The problem with that, and, and understand it's not a bad place, but part of the problem is the next generation doesn't walk around seeing themselves as sinful, which is why when we share the gospel here, Rich and I often start with creation. And we talk about how you were created in the image of God and you rebelled from God, and God is restoring that. He's in the process of restoring that. How does he do that? That is a little bit more understandable than, hey, you're a sinner. But we need to repent, which means to turn from sin. And then in Mark, he says, believe. We need to believe in this good news. Now, for us, many of us, in Baptist conservative circles, it just meant at some point in time, raising your hand, signing a card, coming forward to say, I believe. But this believe is not a, a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing that we believe and continue to believe the good news. And so next, Jesus goes to a group of people that have heard this stuff, and he says, follow me. So our vision statement, or our mission statement here, vision statement is to love God, to love people, to make disciples as we're following Jesus. We recognize this ongoing call to follow Jesus. Now, as his ministry goes on in Mark chapter 8, now, a, long, a few years have probably passed at this point in time, and Jesus is quizzing his disciples. And he says in Mark chapter 8, in verse 27, he quizzes his, his disciples, and he said, And Jesus went off with his disciples to the villages of 
Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's so much we could just say about this, but we're not preaching on this passage. And he said, on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Like, who do people think I am? You're, you're following me. Who, who do other people think I am? And they, they said, John the Baptist, which is kind of an odd answer because Jesus was only probably a few years younger than John, right? And so, or not even a year younger than John. And uh, others say Elijah, okay? There was a, a, a belief that Elijah was gonna come and do all these mighty works before the Messiah came. Others say one of the prophets. But then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. <coughs> Excuse me. You're the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Now, not only do we need to believe the gospel, but we need to recognize that Jesus died for us. And this speaks to our need. There is something that Jesus provides that nobody else can provide. And he says that he would rise again. Jesus rose again. And this speaks to the new creation, the new image, the new hope that we have. And what I've been trying to emphasize in this message over and over again is that Jesus is the Christ. We need to understand what that means, that he is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And we recognize that he is coming again. Rich made, a little bit, made fun of me a little bit, and just in my, my OCD tendencies, I had seven points there. Most of you don't know it, but I know it. But I also wanted coming again. So he said, technically, that's eight. I said, no, it's still under number seven because the Messiah is coming again, okay? So, you know, all these things, and even in chapter one, Paul doesn't quite address every single one of these things. And so let's see what the gospel revealed in Galatians chapter one. First of all, who we are. All right, no notes there. Who we are. Look at verse four. He says, who, okay, speaking grace to you from peace, God and Father, who the Lord, the Messiah, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That word deliver means to rescue. Now, the reason that Jesus came, listen, is because you needed to be rescued. That speaks to our need. He, he came to deliver us. Now, it, it's, it's so subtle there, but somebody doesn't come to rescue unless somebody needs to be rescued. Somebody doesn't deliver unless somebody is bound or in slavery. And so Jesus comes to rescue us because we need rescuing. And the reason why, it's not just because we've sinned. If you don't like that term, it's because we rebelled against God. And when you rebel against his kingdom, you are outside of his kingdom. And the only way you can get back into his kingdom is if somebody comes and rescues you. Now, Paul will also tell us later that this, 
this rebellion, this sin has caused us to be enslaved to this sin. In other words, we get an appetite for it and we just can't keep, we can't not do it. We keep sinning. And Paul says you need to be delivered from that. So who we are, we're helpless and lost. So what did Jesus do? He gave himself up. Who gave himself for our sins? Now, what did God do? This is what Jesus did. What did God do? And it says, he gave himself up for our sins, Jesus, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to him be the glory. Now, jump back up in verse 1. Paul's got all these things in a different order, but it's all kind of there. He says, Paul an apostle, not from man, but through man, or not through man, but through Jesus the Messiah and God the Father, what? Who raised him from the dead? Okay, now we're, we're starting with the resurrection here. But Jesus came and rescued us and he delivered us by giving himself up to death. And God accepted that work by raising Jesus from the dead. He said, good job. And let me prove it by raising you from the dead. And why did God do it? It was all for his glory. Now, from my seven points, there's a few things missing. You could say the kingdom. Paul doesn't say in here the kingdom has come. But he is using the word Messiah, which is kingdom language. So Paul does have that in there. The other three things from my list of seven slash eight is that he doesn't specifically say repent, believe, and follow. But that's the whole point of Galatians. They've already supposedly repented, believed, and followed, and now they're following something else. That's why Paul is writing the letter. Because your repent, believe, and follow are not in accordance to what you were supposed to repent, believe, and follow. And so he's readdressing those things. So Paul reminds them in this introduction of his gospel then he warns them. And he warns them that there is nobody that can preach a different gospel. And he's very clear here. Now, Paul said, look, if I come back and I preach a different gospel, or let's just say that an angel from heaven came to you, that's pretty amazing, and they preached a different gospel. He says, let them be accursed. What he is literally saying is let them be damned. That's serious. Now, in the book, Paul is going to repeatedly be saying that the gospel plus nothing equals everything. And what I mean by that is this. You can't add anything to the gospel. And church, whether you want to write, you can go, oh, this was so many years ago and we don't have Jewish people coming into our church and saying that we need to be circumcised, so this doesn't apply to us. No, we have people slipping into the church all the time and saying, yeah, Jesus died for us and we need to do this to be saved. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. If you're not baptized, you're not saved. If you're divorced, you're not saved. If you're this, you're... 
I, all, if you watch R-rated movies, I mean, uh, all these things that we add and say, if you do this, you're not really saved. So it becomes the gospel plus this thing. But Paul's saying over and over again, the gospel plus nothing equals everything. And we need to learn to apply the gospel personally. We need to recognize our need for good news and believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross. Believe that God raised him from the dead. We need to repent of our sin and follow him. But Christian, let me just say this. And you've heard, those of you who've been around, you've heard me say this over and over again. The gospel is not this one-time thing that we do back at the beginning of our Christian walk. The gospel is something we apply to ourselves daily. And not that we are saved again or resaved or lose our salvation, but we're reminded over and over again of the grace that we live in because of Jesus Christ. We also need to learn to apply the gospel to the community in which we worship, in which we live. In other words, we need to learn to be able to speak the gospel to those around us in a way of encouraging them in their walk with Jesus. And we're going to be talking more about that. And then obviously we need to apply the gospel to a witness to other people, what we share with people who have not heard the gospel. I want to share one story and then I'll wrap this up. I was having a pastor's meeting just a few weeks ago over at Sunrise with a group of pastors that have been going through some training with James. And one of the, we were sharing what was going on in our church, and one of the pastors shared this pretty amazing story. He pastors a church right in the midst of Portland that's going through all this stuff right now, and so somebody asked him how he's doing, and his church had been broken into twice in the last few months. In fact, one time, not even before the break-in started, he was ministering to a couple that was living in a tent uh, kind of off his church property and on his church property and around his church property. They were both meth addicts and he was, he was talking with them and he invited them into church and he caught the guy in the sound room. It was a, not a board like this, but in a room and he kind of expected that the guy, uh, um, thought that the guy may have stolen a few things, but he didn't want to ask him to see his backpack, so he just called him out of there. And then later the church got broken into through a window, busted in a door into the sound room, stole a bunch of stuff. And then about a month later, it happened again. And at one point in time, he actually confronts the guy. He said, did you, did you guys, did you break into it? No, we didn't. We didn't. We wouldn't do that. And I don't know who did that. And so one day, he's sitting in his office, and he sees this couple. Again, they're living right around the church in a tent, either across the street and on property. They've been moving around. And he sees them just fighting on the, on the sidewalk. I mean, they're just in some sort of shouting match. He tries to go over there, be pastoral, but it's just out of control. And he goes back to his office. He's talking to his wife on the phone and he sees the guy just take off. And he recognizes that somebody said, we're going to call the police. And so this guy didn't want to talk with the police. So he leaves. And so he's on his phone with his wife and he goes, hold on, I'll call you back. I'm going to go investigate a homeless camp. Okay, something I'm like, no, no, you're not. No, don't do this. So he goes across the street where the guy's tent is and he sees this box. And on this box is a bunch of blankets. Right before the last break-in, the church had just done a blanket drive. And he goes, 
I know those are our blankets because on the top is the blanket that my wife and I donated. And so then he goes, what are the rules into stealing things from a homeless camp that's yours? And and he was really concerned about this, so he called the non-emergency police number, and they're like, go for it. So he goes through the box, and sure enough, everything from the first break-in, the second break-in, and the things that he thought he put in his backpack the very first time in his church were all in this box. So he steals it back, and he confronts the guy later. He said, you stole from us. I know, somebody must have put that there. Come on. And finally the guy goes, yeah, yeah, I took it. And the pastor is still inviting him to church. And he's still offering to help him. And so the guy finally goes, why are you doing this? And he says, because my God bought back things that were stolen from him. The gospel. My God paid for things, people that were stolen from him. Now he was sharing this in a group of pastors and we all went, Ooh, wow, good, good one. And I, and I said to myself, I, would I have been as gospel-minded as that man? Or, or would I have just been, that was stolen from me and I'm angry and I'm mad and I'm gonna take it back and I'm gonna go, you get out of here. But what if God did that to us? You see, the gospel keeps coming back and loving over and over and over again. So the application. The gospel, the good news, have you received it? Have you personally responded to the gospel? And you know, if you're not sure, today would be a great time to just bow your knee before God, either literally or figuratively. Confess that you're a sinner and acknowledge your belief that Jesus died for you and rose again and commit yourself to following him. Now, the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so we've often applied that to a prayer. But the idea of confess is, then you should probably tell somebody that. Come and talk to Rich or I and say, hey, I made that confession and I want to know what it means to follow Jesus. The second, the question is the gospel. Have we kept it? The Galatian church has moved away from it. And so we have to keep asking ourselves as a church, Are we keeping the good news or have we turned it into something else? And then as the gospel, have we shared it? Is this something that flows off our lips to people that need to hear it? You know what? Church, I love you. And I want us to be gospel fluent in our conversation. But so often I'm more likely to hear individuals' political beliefs than I am to hear their beliefs about Jesus Christ. I'm more likely to hear your moral thoughts on a certain situation and when is God's judgment going to come than I am to hear about the grace of God and what it's doing in your life. 
What do we speak about, talk about, read about, sing about, think about? It should be the good news. It should cause us to experience joy that we want to share with other people. Let's be a church that is fluent in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just want to pause for a moment. We recognize that in our state, we are surrounded by smoke and fires. We see people fleeing their homes. We see the images of firefighters and police officers who are on the front line, who are tired, exhausted, And as your church, as your people, God, we pray for your grace and peace. God, we pray that you would move. I pray for rain. I pray for wind. I pray for divine intervention in what we are going through, that you would deliver us from this current evil that we're experiencing, not for our safety, but for your glory. So God, we pray that you would intervene. And then God, we we look at the situations of a pandemic, we look at the situations of our state filled with smoke and unhealthy air quality and a political environment that is heated, and we say, God, help us to be a gospel church, a good news church, a church that is all about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Help us be a people that talk about it, sing about it, courage with those words. Fill us with this truth. God, I pray that you would just reorient us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just fill us with it. God, we pray for this pod opportunity that we have as a church that, God, you would bring the volunteers, that it might be a way we can minister to our community. And we pray for this new family service that is coming up in just an hour. We pray your blessings upon it, that we would communicate clearly the gospel and the word of God to our children and youth and families. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.